Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Great. Uh, well, welcome, everybody, to our monthly information corner. Uh, this is Claire Stanley, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist at ACB, um, but more importantly for this uh, this um, community event, the Chair of the Information Referral and Peer Support ERPS Steering Committee. And every month, ERPS, the Information Referral and Peer Support Steering Committee, puts on one of these events to share information about what's going on um, as it pertains to kind of what's timely, what your rights as people with disabilities are, and just how we can share information with one another. Um, so this is this is technically our November um, information corner, but with the, the holiday season, we've got it bumped over one day into December. So we're really excited that everybody could join us. Um, today, we're going to have a co-presentation with myself, Claire Stanley, as well as um, our board liaison, Mr. Ray Campbell, um, who can introduce himself in a second. And we will be talking about travel. We thought it would be a great thing to talk about now that we're in the holiday season. Unfortunately, a lot of us aren't traveling as much as we would like to because of COVID, but it's still a timely topic. Some people will still be traveling. And so we thought we would talk about one, what your rights are as persons with disabilities as it um, concerns travel. And then two, Ray's going to talk about some of the different things that are going on in air travel to um, hopefully mitigate the potential risks of COVID-19 while you're traveling. Because a lot of us still want to travel. I know I'm from the West Coast, so knock on wood, I'm planning to go home for, for the holidays. So um, yeah, it's just a, a night to talk about travel. And as always, we will talk for about the first 40 minutes or so, give or take. But we want to open lots of time up to you guys so we can answer any and all questions because that's what this is all about. Um, it's time for us to provide information. And before I introduce Ray, um, a last thing I want to say is, as always, these information corners are supposed to respond to timely issues and respond to questions that you guys have. So when we open the floor for questions about our presentation, also feel free to let us know what you want future information corners to talk, touch upon or talk about. Um, we don't just want to be talking about anything random, but we want to be responding to what's applicable. Um, so I'll go ahead and start presenting in a minute. But before I do, Ray, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Claire. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Ray Campbell, the second vice president of the American Council of the Blind. I also work in digital technology for United Airlines. And so uh, through the whole COVID pandemic and all of that, a lot of things that we've had to do in our company and, and consequently throughout the airline industry, uh, technologies had to implement a lot of those things. So I'll be able to talk, uh, probably talk mainly specifically about the things that United is doing, but um, a lot of that will carry over to the other airlines and is also very applicable to other means of travel. If we have a little time, I'll also share uh, some of my experiences uh, traveling recently on Amtrak. So uh, uh, looking forward to talking with all of you. Great. Thanks, Ray. Um, so I always like to give a good framework about what the civil rights laws look like as they pertain to people who are blind or visually impaired, because I think it's really good for us to have a baseline for what our rights are that we're working for. Of course, airlines, Amtrak, 
uh, Uber and Lyft, any type of transportation company can always go above and beyond. But I always like to start with what the laws look like so that when we're advocating for our rights to access these resources, we know what the law says. So I'm going to talk about two laws tonight that are applicable to transportation. So when we're traveling over the holiday season and beyond, um, you guys can know what your uh, rights are. I actually saw, as an aside, I saw a fun little thing on uh, Good Morning America that people are spending more money uh, planning for 2021 trips because they saved all their money up from 2020 and are going crazy after the vaccine comes up this this coming year. So hopefully that'll be a lot of us. We'll all be out there traveling after the vaccine comes out. Um, so like I said, I want to talk about two laws that are going to apply. So the first I, the first distinction I want to make is between air travel and general travel. So a lot of times we tend to think that as people who, would, who are blind or visually impaired, the law we always go to when it talks about our rights is the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that's true. That applies to things like taking Amtrak, if you're taking Greyhound, if you're using an Uber or Lyft, or the many, many, many other forms of transportation out there. But the curveball we're going to throw out there is when you're traveling via air. Again, we tend to think that the ADA is the gold standard. But when you're flying on a plane, like uh, Ray's going to talk about soon, it's no longer the Americans with Disabilities Act that applies. It's actually the Air Carrier Access Act, or the ACAA for short. And uh, interestingly, a fun fact, the ACAA came before the ADA was passed. It was passed in the 1980s, so it preceded the Americans with Disabilities Act. So some of the language looks similar, but there are some distinct differences. So that's just something I wanted to flag for you guys when you say, hey, I have the right to fly and get accommodations because of the ADA. Nope, nope, it's not the ADA, it's the ACAA. Um, so that's just kind of what I wanted to start with. And so now I'm gonna go over briefly what these two different laws look like and what some of our rights are as, uh, as travelers who are blind and visually impaired um, and what kind of accommodations we should receive always and what kind of accommodations we still have a right to receive even during the COVID-19 crisis. Because I think that's something that a lot of people have raised um, concerns about. You know, are things still going to look the same way because of COVID-19? You know, things definitely look do look different in a lot of respects, but that does not mean that the accommodations that we have a right to should necessarily be um, eliminated or significantly decreased because of COVID-19. So those are important things to remember. So first, the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA. Um, so like I said, this does not apply to air travel. So that's really important to know. But it does cover a lot of other things. Like Ray said, he hopefully will share some experiences with Amtrak. The ADA applies to Amtrak. It applies to, applies to Greyhound, um, any other major um, transportation system out there, um, your public bus system, uh, you name it. As long as it's not air travel out there, it applies to, it pl travel falls under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, there are two different parts of the ADA it could fall under. Title II applies to uh, anything that's um, provided by local or state governments. So for instance, here in DC, we have the Metro bus system. And so under uh, Title II of the ADA, I can take the Metro bus system and get my accommodations. And then we also have Title III, and that is for anything that's a privately owned business. So again, things like Greyhound, Uber, Lyft, um, I'm sure there are many other different services out there. You know, the, the big charter buses you can take, all those kinds of things would fall under Title III. 
Um, so again, you can get any of the accommodations that you need under the, the Americans with Disabilities Act um, within the transportation system. One important thing to know is that a lot of times transportation systems do have monetary discounts. For instance, um, some of the local buses, uh, uh, train systems we have here in the D.C. area have discounts for people with disabilities, which is awesome. However, that is not necessarily, for the most part, an accommodation under the ADA. So if you want to take something like Greyhound or a, even a local bus system under Title II and they don't have a discount, you can't say, hey, I have a disability, I need a discount. That's generally speaking not an accommodation. So it's a great thing to have, and we see it in a lot of places. But I just wanted to flag that, that that's not considered a reasonable accommodation. Uh, so do your research, know what's out there. Uh, service animals, that's also something I wanted to flag. Again, it'll fall both under the Air Carrier Access Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act. Two different laws with slightly different policies for service animals, but under the Americans with Disabilities Act, under Title II and Title III, again, those privately owned transportation systems, as well as public transportation systems, you have a right to bring your service animal with you. Now, one of the fun distinctions I'll talk about in a second with the Air Carrier Access Act is different animals are allowed on, but under the Americans with Disabilities Act, so that's every other form of public transportation or private transportation, service animal under the Americans with Disabilities Act is defined as a dog, period. There's one minor caveat fun distinction. Those are miniature horses. I'm sure you guys have all heard about them. Those have slightly different rules, but for the most part, 99.999% of the time under the Americans with Disabilities Act, the only animal service animal you're allowed to travel with is your dog. A lot of us who are listening, I'm sure, have service animals. I have my guide dog. So if you're trying to take Amtrak or Greyhound or Uber or Lyft, they cannot deny you access to your service animal. But under the ADA, it has to be a dog. So don't go trying to bring your cat or your bird or your hamster or anything else like that. Or your peacock. Um, or peacock. Thank you, Ray. No peacocks. <laughs> um one of the other things I wanted to talk about, and again, it'll fall under the, AD, uh, the ADA as well as the Air Carrier Access Act, is um, getting guide assistance. So as persons who are blind or visually impaired, we have the right to uh, accommodations. And a lot of times with transportation, this has to do with getting assistance to uh, say you're taking um, a Greyhound, you have the right to get assistance to find which bus you're going to take to be told where the bus stop is or the stop is and those kinds of things getting guide assistance. One concern I know that has popped up because of COVID is you know, do I still have to provide guide assistance? That means the person's getting close to me. I don't want them to breathe on me. Oh, no. You know, those kinds of things. That is not an excuse not to provide assistance to somebody who's blind or visually impaired. So if you have experiences where people are a little iffy around you, they don't want to guide you, they, you know, cannot deny you those kinds of accommodations, even in light of COVID. Now, of course, they could have something reasonable like wearing gloves or, you know, of course, we all have to wear our masks depending on your state and local county policy. So those kinds of things are reasonable. But because of COVID, they can't deny you those accommodations. 
Um, and then the last thing I wanted to talk about under the ADA is website accessibility. And this is a little tangential, but it's still applicable to travel because we all know that buying tickets for almost everything now is done on a kiosk or on a website or a combination of those kinds of things. And under the Americans with Disabilities Act, those have to be accessible. And so I wanted to bring that up because we get a lot of reports back from people. So if you have any of those experiences, let us know in the national office. Um, for instance, with Amtrak, ACB is um, fortunate to have a relationship with the ADA coordinator of Amtrak. And they, I'm sure many of you are nodding your head, have not the greatest reputation in having an accessible app as well as a website. But they've done a lot. They try to fix it. And then a lot of times it breaks. And then they fix it. And then it breaks. But uh, we have a relationship with them. And so we're able to advocate for accessible websites and apps and kiosks. So those are an in, uh, important component of travel. So definitely be on the lookout for when you're traveling via any form of transportation under the Americans with Disabilities Act to those forms um, of buying tickets, um, you know, via websites, et cetera, have to be accessible. So that's the ADA really, really boiled down. I could talk about it all day, but those are some of the important rights I wanted to um, emphasize were getting assistance, using websites and service animals, and again, the distinction between the ADA and the ACAA. So what's the ACAA? That's the Air Carrier Access Act. Like I said, it came before the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990. Um, it came out in the 80s. So it has a lot of similar components, but it's not exactly the same thing. Some of the language is similar, but some of it looks really different. For instance, service animals. So like I said, under the Americans with Disabilities Act, a service animal 99.99% of the time is going to only be a dog besides that one minor exception, which we can talk about later if people have any questions. But under the Air Carrier Access Act, you can have any type of service animal. So the definition that was written for service animal um, was different. So technically, if you can demonstrate that your animal can perform a task, your service animal can be just about anything. Now, that also, there's also other classifications. So when we hear service animal, that's what most of us use, right? We have guide dogs. Our dogs are service animals. But there are two other classifications of animals under the Air Carriers Access Act. There are psychiatric support animals, um, which kind of imply what they sound like. They are they're service animals for the most part that um, assist persons who have a psychiatric disability. And under the Americans with Disabilities Act, we clump those two together. We say if you have an animal that can perform a task for a psychiatric disability, it's the same thing. But under the Air Carrier Access Act, they divide those. And then the third area are the ones that I'm sure many of you are smiling about. They're called emotional support animals. Unlike a service animal, they do not perform a task. They simply help people by virtue of being there. They make you feel better. And those are the ones where you hear are peacocks and monkeys and cats and you name it. And under the Air Carrier Access Act, you're still allowed to bring emotional support animals on the airplane with you. Under the Americans with Disabilities Act, you don't have to allow emotional support animals in public places. Uh, so, you know, if you go into a grocery store or a restaurant, emotional support animals can't be there. But under the Air Carrier Access Act, you could be flying home this this winter uh, for the holidays to see your family and have a person sitting next to you with a, 
a peacock, you know, theoretically. So um, it's getting a little, little out of control. And because of that, this past year, the Department of Transportation was actually taking comments to potentially revise these policies. Um, and airlines have been responding to them with their own policies, but at this point, it's still kind of in limbo. Um, so that's a, a distinction I just wanted to make for those of us who have guide dogs that under the Air Carrier Access Act, there are a whole other many different components to think about when you're traveling with your guide dog. Um, then again, just guidance assistance. Um, I've been fortunate to be part of a um, advisory committee that's helping to develop some policies on what guide assistance looks like. So for one, those of us who are blind get to the airport, what it looks like to get assistance literally from the curb all the way to our gates when we land and need to transfer flights, those kinds of things, we have a right under the ACAA to get assistance from another human being to take a sighted guide, or you can follow them if you're more comfortable um, to get you through TSA, to get you to your gate, again, to get you to a second gate if you need, and then get you to baggage claims. So under the Air Carrier Access Act, we have rights to all of those things. And again, even though because of COVID-19, they can't deny you access um, for guide assistance. So they can't say, sorry, we don't want to be exposed to, you know, another person being in close proximity. You still have the right to get guide assistance. Um, so that's something I would love to hear if anybody has experienced any issues with, because that's a really important thing. It can't be violated. So let us know if people have those issues. Um, and then lastly, before um, I turn it over to Ray and then we can open it for questions, is it's really important that anything that happens under the Air Care Access Act where your rights as a person with disability are violated, you need to report those. Um, there are two different ways you can report um, discrimination based on your disability under air travel. The first is you can go directly to the airline, which we strongly encourage people to do. And I bet Ray can talk a little bit about United. So you can go through the airline and or so you can do both or you can go directly through the Department of Transportation and through the FAA. They have a um, report process where you can write in and explain what happened. Um, and they really appreciate, actually, that when people put it in discrimination complaints, because it helps them understand better what's going on. They take really detailed analysis of what types of complaints are coming in based on what disability and what type of accommodation and within which airline, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, don't be shy about submitting those complaints because uh, they want to know, they want to aggregate the data and find out what's going on and see how they can make further um, changes in the future. So um, we just wanted to emphasize that if you are discriminated against because you couldn't get guide assistance, because you have a service animal, Again, if you have issues with the website, with any of these things, file a complaint with DOT and or file a complaint with the airline themselves. That's really important. Um, so that's just a really 30,000 foot overview um, discussion of what the two laws are. But again, you have rights for accommodations, whether that's using the website, that's bringing your service animal, that's getting guide assistance, or probably many other things I'm not even touching upon. You have rights, but remember the ADA applies to most of the things we think about, but it does not apply to airlines. That's when the Air Carrier Access Act kicks in. Um, so just make sure you understand that there is a distinction. A lot of the things are similar, but they're not identical. So know that there is a difference between the two. Um, and I'll kick it over to you, Ray. 
Thanks, Claire. Um, so um, I'm going to talk about three things here. And uh, just as a just kind of a disclaimer, uh, most everything I'm going to talk about uh, references what United Airlines is doing, what their policies are. Um, I will reference a couple of things that I do know other airlines are doing uh, just uh, during this uh, COVID time. And then if I if we have some time, uh, I'll share some of my experiences with uh, both flying and with Amtrak. Uh, I've traveled on both since COVID began. And so uh, what some of my experiences have been. First, let me talk about what United is doing. And again, uh, other airlines are doing similar things, but maybe not exactly. United has something, if you're choosing to fly United Airlines, we have something called the Clean Plus Program. You can learn, read about that if you go to www.united.com forward slash Clean Plus, C-L-E-A-N-P-L-U-S, that's all one word. And that site's very accessible. And you can read all about the different things that are part of the United Clean Plus Program. Um, some of the things that we're doing um, as a company to help keep customers safe is that we are, number one, um, on, I believe, every turn, uh, all the uh, the airplanes, they're being cleaned and disinfected with what are called high-pressure electric electrostatic sprayers. And these are sprayers that spray like every nook and cranny of the, uh, the airplane so that uh, with uh, cleaning and disinfecting agents and make sure that there's no uh, coronavirus or anything else for that matter um, on any of the surfaces uh, of the airplane. So what that has meant is that some of the turns, you know, when they turn flights are taking a little bit longer. Um, so you may be sitting in the airport and you may see that your plane comes in and um, you may be thinking, okay, I'm going to be going pretty soon. And it might take just a little bit longer, but that's to get everything clean and, and disinfected. The second thing that's happening is that um, you've heard the old adage about the airplanes and breathing recirculated air. Well, that's not the case. So what's happening is that um, the uh, most all airplanes, at least in United's fleet, and I believe many of the other ones as well, they have hospital grade air filters. Uh, there was a study done recently, and I believe it was Department of Defense did it, and they said that the air in airplanes is probably just as clean as in most hospitals, in some cases, maybe even a little bit cleaner. And so you don't have to worry about, and it, it's filtered uh, like every every couple of minutes, I believe, and 99.97% of bacteria and viruses are cleaned out of the air uh, when that happens. And so um, that's something that um, you uh, will, will definitely hopefully to reassure you that uh, we are taking uh, that, those precautions as well. Um, the third thing that I would mention is that all of the uh, airline employees are wearing masks. In fact, we have been told that um, we need to wear masks. And if we don't, that is a, a basis for disciplinary action up to and including uh, termination. Um, I know that for some folks, especially maybe those who have issues with hearing but have some usable vision, that can could present a little bit of an issue. Um, but just try to you know make sure that uh, you get communicated to you the information that you need because sometimes people are a little harder to understand uh, behind a mask. Um, <clears throat> so those are three main things that we're doing. We are not currently blocking middle seats. Um, some of the airlines are doing that. Um, I know JetBlue is, and I believe Delta is as well. Um, 
The reason we're not is that we have had enough interest in people flying that a lot of our flights are full are more full where we can't really block the middle seats. Um, I believe Southwest is also doing that as well. Um, this is just Ray Campbell's opinion, but blocking the middle seat, you're still not six feet from somebody that might be next to you. So, you know, you do need to still wear the mask and all those other precautions that we need to be taking. Um, fourth thing, um, I know what we're doing on United is that we have, uh, when you check in uh, for your flight, um, if it's more than 70% full, we are providing that information to our customers and saying, hey, you know, if you want to book on a less full flight, um, you can do that. And there's no charge for that. We've also waived change fees. So if you had decided that you want to travel and that um, there you're going to is experiencing a surge um, and you uh, decide that you don't want to travel, don't worry about canceling that trip. Um, and we have, we're waiving change fees. Um, we've waived change fees. So you don't have to worry about getting charged a change fee for, for doing that. Um, couple other things we're doing in some areas. Um, one thing that we're doing on any flight that where you're going to Hawaii through San Francisco, we are now doing COVID testing in San Francisco. So um, here's what that means. That means that um, we're working with a partner to test everyone that's boarding a flight, flights from San Francisco to Hawaii. Um, the reason for doing that is Hawaii has a very strict quarantine program that you would normally have to quarantine for 14 days if you, uh, you went into Hawaii uh, without being tested, this testing gets you around it. Now keep in mind, if you test positive, you will not be allowed to fly. Uh, so be aware of that. Um, and so that's something you do need to, to think about. Um, the other thing that we are doing is um, on some of our international flights, we're also doing something similar. Um, I believe Newark uh, to London, we're doing it. And again, that's to get around some of the uh, quarantine restrictions that other places have. And the, and the idea being that if you test negative and you come in um, and you come in with that negative test, that you don't have to follow the uh, quarantine. Now, you still do need to take precautions as you would anywhere when you're traveling. Okay, so what are you going to be required to do as a traveler? Um, and I just want to touch on a few things. First and foremost, you do need to wear a mask from the time you get to the airport to the time you leave the uh, airport on the other end. And so you're going to need to have a mask on. Now, if you do have a medical condition that requires that or prevents you from wearing a mask. And again, this applies to people above the age of two. Uh, just say that you have a medical condition that uh, will prohibit you from wearing a mask. They can't, at least in our case, they can't and won't ask you to provide any kind of documentation about that. Um, they're going to take your uh, your word for that. Um, we have been, our customers have been very uh, good about wearing masks and we haven't had a whole lot of people trying to use that medical waiver to uh, not uh, wear a mask that we're aware of. Now, if you do not comply with wearing a mask, uh, and this applies to everybody. So people with disabilities would be subjected to it as well. You can be, as our one of our company officials said, invited not to fly. So if you refuse to put on a mask on an airplane and you don't have a medical reason that you can't, you may be banned from flying until the on, on that particular airline until the COVID uh, thing is, is over. I don't 
believe that that's being shared across airlines right now. We've only had about 400 people that we've had to, uh, as it was put to me, invite not to fly with us. Um, we certainly don't want to do it. Uh, again, our customers have been very good about complying with the mask requirements. The other thing that you'll see, um, the, the boarding is different now. You know, a lot of airlines, how you used to board in groups, you'll, they, they board from back to front now, like row 30 to row one. Uh, people with disabilities still can pre-board. Um, if you, you know, following the airline's uh, procedures, whatever the procedure is for the given airline, United, we invite people with disabilities to pre-board. I know Southwest uh, haven't flown them for a few years, but they did. you did have to get a pre-board slip in order to be able to pre-board. Um, but you can still do those things. So you still have that, that opportunity. If you want to pre-board, you still should be able to do that. Um, you know, following the procedures that the airline has for that. Um, and as far as um, when you get off the plane, um, I've had a couple experiences flying recently. They were fairly short and not real full flights, so it didn't take long to get um, help. Uh, personally, I have always just stayed on the plane until whoever's ready to assist me is there to provide that assistance. And that has seemed to work out pretty good. Um, the last thing, uh, the other thing you'll see a couple more things. The other thing you'll see is you won't see maybe a lot, of, especially shorter flights. You may not see a lot of food service offered. Uh, again, they're trying to minimize customer, uh, contact as much as possible. So we're not serving a lot of food, um, uh, and stuff on the planes. Um, you, I believe you can ask for like, you know, water, or, you know, something to drink or something like that. Um, some, Times they're also you can also purchase uh, all-in-one snack boxes that have uh, various things in them, and, um, and that's uh, something that's allowed as well. Um, it, what you know, one of the things United is doing uh, during the check-in process, we are allowing you to put in a credit card that will be used for payment on board. So it's a contactless. Um, uh, form of payment. So if you are on a flight where you can purchase things on board, like food or drinks or what have you, uh, that card will be charged. I'm not sure of the mechanics of it, but that card will be charged and they won't have to take your credit card and swipe it or anything. So they don't touch your credit card. Um, you'll be given a couple of um, alcohol-based wipes when you get on the plane. So if you want to wipe down any surfaces or anything like that, even though everything has been cleaned, as I mentioned earlier, um, you can do that. And um, you can um, do do that. Um, and those are the main things. Oh, one more thing, guide assistance. Claire mentioned this. My experience has been I have had very good luck getting guide assistance. Um, and I don't always carry my employee badge with me, so they don't necessarily know that I'm a United employee. So uh, I've had... Good luck getting guide assistance. Uh, again, like Claire said, they can't refuse to guide you, um, even though there is uh, COVID. Um, you know, they might ask you to wear gloves or something like that. Uh, but again, they can't uh, refuse to do it. Um, and one other thing for TSA, um, they have the liquids policy, like three ounces of liquids, uh, 311, uh, and, you know, for liquids. 
Hand sanitizer is exempted. So if you want to take a bigger bottle of hand sanitizer with you, you shouldn't have any problems declaring that and getting that through TSA if you want to carry it. One thing I have noticed is that to they may ask you to put your ID up on a uh, uh, counter or podium or something like that rather than actually taking it from you to scan it when you go through uh, TSA. Um, as, here again, your meeting assist person should, should show you where you need to put your ID uh, for that purpose. I uh, just got a couple more minutes left here. I want to throw it to questions like Claire said. Um, let me just talk about some recent experience. I've had traveling on Amtrak, uh, taken a couple of trips recently, um, and um, it went, it's going very well. Um, they do require you to wear masks um, on Amtrak. Everything is cashless. So if you want to go buy snacks or something like that, you have to use a credit card or something like that. It's all, you're not taking cash right now. Um, the trains I've been on are, they're not taking as many people. So they do observe the social distancing pretty well. If you have somebody that you want to sit next to, like say somebody you live with or whatever, of course, they're going to allow you to do that. Um, and I have seen them not let people board without masks. So they are pretty strongly enforcing that. As far as guide assistance um, and the trips I've taken, I haven't had any issues with that um, being, you know, allowed sighted guide assistance and those sorts of, of things. Trying to think there's anything else about Amtrak I need to say. No, that's pretty much it. Um, so those are kind of the, um, you know, from the, you know, what what's going on as far as at least uh, one airline is concerned uh, with travel. And I'll throw it back to Claire and we can take a few questions. Great. Thank you so much, Ray. Um, just two more things that came to mind as Ray uh, was talking that I want to relay to everybody and then we can jump into questions. Um, as far as Amtrak goes, if you do have a legitimate medical reason or disability related reason for not wearing, uh, being able to wear a mask or a, a face covering, um, again, ACB has a great relationship with Amtrak. And so in meetings, we've been told by general counsel that they do take every, you know, option possible to think of a way to accommodate you, whether that be if there is a spare car, you know, isolating you in a spare car so you're not going to be around other people, um, finding different ways. So they're trying to be really creative. You know, at the end of the day, you know, they do have to enforce their policies. But if you are going to take Amtrak and you can't wear a mask or someone who's with you can't wear a mask for a legitimate disability or medical related issue, reach out because they are really trying to, you know, think creatively about how they can accommodate everybody, which I think is great to hear. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to talk about with flying, again, under the Air Carrier Access Act, when you're flying, request accommodations ahead of time if you can. And this is something I'm relaying based on my experience. Like I said, now that I'm on that Air Carrier Access Act Advisory Committee, and I've gotten to know the airlines and the different trade unions. So under the ACAA, if you get to your um, the counter where you're either buying your ticket or checking in, you can ask for assistance right there and then, and they have to give you assistance, period. However, when you buy your tickets, whether you do it online or over the phone or even through a third-party ticket vendor, they always have a, the option to ask, will you need an ADA accommodation? And for most of us, it'll be, do you need guide assistance? If you let them know ahead of time, it really helps them to plan. Um, and this is something I've learned a lot about because a lot of us 
me speaking myself candidly, not ACB, but as Claire, that sometimes it doesn't feel any different whether you report ahead of time or whether you tell them on the spot. Um, So for me, that always kind of like, not discouraged, but I kind of felt like, well, who cares whether I tell them before or right on this spot? Um, We don't, I don't see any difference, but the airlines have really encouraged and prodded us to let people know that it makes a huge difference as far as planning purposes go. Um, So if you can, again, if you say, you know, something happens and you're, there's an emergency and you have to hop on a flight tomorrow, do not worry about it. You can still ask. You have a legal right, and it's completely reasonable to ask for assistance on the spot. But I have been encouraged and asked to tell everybody that if you can, you know, when you're buying your ticket, whether it be online or over the phone, let them know ahead of time that you're going to need guide assistance because it will really help the airlines prepare. Yeah, one thing I found helpful too, Claire, is that when I'm boarding my departure flight is to say, now let them know that I'm going to need assistance at my destination. And that seems to actually make it make it the situation a lot better because then they can double check, make sure it's in your record and uh, away you go. Yes, I completely agree. Yeah. Great. Um, So Sheila is our host. So she has the power to see who's raising their hand and let you guys speak. So Sheila, we'll turn it over to you. All right. If you want to raise your hand, if you're on a PC, it is Alt-Y on a Mac, Option-Y on your phone, on the um, iPhone. It's right there on your screen. Raise hand. And on a landline, it would be star nine. And when I give you the okay to unmute, to unmute is alt A on your PC, command shift A on a Mac, under on the iPhone, it's on the left under mute. And then on your landline, it would be star six. Okay, so Nolan, you may unmute. Thank you so much for the uh, presentation tonight, Claire. I greatly appreciate that. And I wanted to bring up a point that you can also, I believe, I'm wondering if it's possible, you can actually, I wonder if you can actually get assistance through, uh, through IRA, through an IRA agent, where they can get and give you assistance like prompting and they can see through your phone and what you can help us yeah thank you thank you nolan that's a great point um that's something that the well first of all those of us who are ira users um we all know you can use it anywhere you want for the most part but it's also something that the faa has taken great notice of um they Uh like to see that it's a great option now part of that advisory committee I'm part of, I have brought up that it should never take the place of guide assistance, that we should always have the assistance of a real person if necessary. However, um, we have emphasized that it's a great additional tool to have. And because of that, um, IRA has been working with major airlines and the FAA has been encouraging major airports to give us free service at airports. Um, So that means that for airports who have agreed to develop these contracts, um, uh, that have developed these contracts, you can use IRA free access and not have to use any of your own minutes that you've purchased. Um, 
I'm trying to think. I unfortunately can't think of any examples off the head. I want to say maybe Dallas Fort Worth is one of the examples. It's Atlanta, not all Atlanta. Yep, thank you, Atlanta. So it's not every airport, but they're slowly but surely working with more and more airlines. Um, and part of that advisory committee, I really pushed and urged that it's a valuable tool to some of the major um, airline trade organizations. So hopefully, mm-hmm. it'll yeah. it'll catch more attention because. Um, yeah. For instance, I've used it, you know, I'll still get guide assistance to um, my gates, but then I have an hour to wait and I'm like, I need to use the restroom or I want to buy a snack. And so I've pulled up Ira and I've been able to go and, you know, not have to be stuck <laughs> sitting there the whole time till my yeah. flight is leaving. So. Yeah, And um, I find it, I find it pretty interesting too, because, you know, with um, Ira, they, they can help you and every single direction where you want to go they can give you assistance if you need assistance immediately and you may want to like maybe warn them ahead of time and say hey i may be flying somewhere i may need to get sighted assistance can you give me prompt and give me some prompting on where to go in the airport like where to where my gate is Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You can do that. And, uh, you know, be careful. As Claire mentioned, though, that's not free at every airport. So if you want right. to use it, like, like Chicago O'Hare, it's not free. And that's a huge airport. Um, the other thing I will say about IRA, uh, keep in mind that if you're using your phone, that at some point, if, you're, if you want to use IRA all the way from the curb to the gate, when you go through TSA, you're going to have to put your phone in the container. So, mm-hmm. and it's going to have to go through the machine. So, yeah. just be aware of that that there is going to be a time that you would be uh, without your IRA. But the TSA agents are pretty good, and they can help you. And then once you have your phone back, you can bring up your IRA, and away you go. So, yeah. great stuff. that'll work. Right. Thanks, Thanks, Nolan. Nolan. Thanks, Nolan. All Next right. one, she left. Last three five one seven. You may unmute. This is Mary Beth, and I had a question about the TSA um, procedures. Um, those of us who have guide dogs, um, at least I know, speaking for myself, I've had a few not-so-happy experiences with um, TSA agents. Have they made any modifications to the way that they uh, do pat-downs and other things like that because of the COVID-19 pandemic? Oh, that's a good question. Do you mean as far as patting down the, the human or the dog or just in general both. because of COVID? Both. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah both. Um, I've been embarrassed to say I don't know about the, the changes since COVID. I can speak pre-COVID. Do you know, po- like, since COVID, Ray, if there have um, been any major what, what changes? I, what I do know is that the TSA agents are always wearing gloves, and they, they change those out. I don't know how regularly or after every person or how that all works, but they do change them out fairly regularly. So they do, they are uh, doing uh, that. Um, Other than that, Mary Beth, I don't know for sure. Uh, My experience has been that Mm -hmm. I've, I don't use a guide dog. I'll just put that uh, point out there. But um, uh, my experience has been that they are still uh, willing to guide you through the uh, metal detector and, and all of that, because um, like I said, they, they have gloves on, so uh, they're protected and they are changing them out um, fairly regularly. Like I said, the only TSA change, the biggest TSA change I'm aware of is if you have hand sanitizer, it's not covered by okay. the three ounce requirements on liquid. Yeah, and I have a guide dog user. I've occasionally found them to be a little too intrusive. 
Yeah. And that's, that's yeah, okay. So that's basically <laughs> where I'm coming from. <laughs> and I know the big thing for me, Mary Beth, as a guy, I am a guide dog user. The one thing I always want to drive home that again, even pre COVID, it's always the thing is you, they are never allowed to separate you from your dog. So I know mm-hmm. I get a lot of times, oh, you know, we'll just hold on to your dog. Nope, I am oh, not no. pushing the leash. Or, oh, can you just take off your har- the harness? Nope, you legally, they cannot ask you to take the harness off. Your dog can remain in all of its gear. Um, so just being, you know, bold and speaking up that you will not be separated from your dog and you do not have to take the harness and leash off if you don't want to, if you're not comfortable. Um, so just being really uh, outspoken about, you know, knowing what your rights are as a guide dog handler. Yeah, as a fairly... Yeah, I probably, you know, a fair amount, and that, that's occasionally been problematic. And yeah. sometimes they'll just stall me because they have a dog. I, at one point, had stuff stolen because they, they left, you know, they stalled me for so long. Mm, I've had that happen myself, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, well, thank you very much, both of you. Thank you. All right, last 3613 of your phone number. You may unmute. Hello. My name is Jane. I'm calling from East Falmouth, Massachusetts on Cape Cod. Um, how often do you have this, this um, series? Um, once so a month on the same day, same time? Yeah, so our, um, our community event is called Information Corner, and it comes from uh-huh. the Information Referral and Peer Support. And so every month it's an information-related uh, event, but it's not always travel. Last month we talked about... Uh, employment the month before that we talked about voting so every month the topic will change but otherwise we try to do it the fourth tuesday of every month okay that's great because this is my first time on this particular zoom call and to the gentleman mr campbell yes Yes. you were right i'm the one that talked this afternoon (laughs) okay that's my other question or comment is i travel a lot before the uh, pandemic travel at least once to twice a year and I've had a few bad experiences, but I don't want to go into them. But anyhow, what I do instead of a sighted guide, because I've been doing this for a while, I ask just for a wheelchair. It makes my life much more simpler and much more easier. And I'm glad you addressed the glove issue. That is my biggest pet peeve as a healthcare professional for many years. I don't know if you are visually impaired and as an employee, but if you are, I hope you are in the in-service guidelines training because they need help you know so lately what i do is i bring my own gloves because i'm protecting me they protect yourself i want to be protective and my other comment question is i don't know if you can share a touch on these two things i've just as a strong transportation advocate i know about these things but maybe the other people don't is can you elaborate or your thoughts on tsa cares and how to access it and also go go grandparents Thank you. Um, Oh, I can, this is Claire. I can talk about TSA CARES a little bit. Um, ACB attends the TSA um, conference that they open to um, the public every year. And TSA CARES is something they constantly encourage people to use. Uh, You can reach out to TSA in two ways. One, you can reach out and file a complaint after the fact, um, which kind of like what I said earlier with... um, with the FAA, 
don't be shy to file complaints because it really helps to shine light on what the issues are. But then they also have a program through TSA where you can request assistance ahead of time. So you can let, let them know that you're coming. This often helps people with more significant and complicated disabilities. If you use a, a power chair or things like that, and it's going to be more difficult for you to go through TSA. But that does not mean that those of us who are blind can't request it as well. If you want them to know ahead of time that you're coming with your service animal, um, you know, sometimes people think that'll help to make the process a little smoother. They know you're coming. They know what accommodations you're needing. So you can also contact TSA ahead of time and let them know um, that you're going to need support mm -hmm. ahead of time. So those are two, you know, before and after things you can do with TSA. You mentioned um, uh, two other one, two other one, two other quick things. One, you mentioned uh, the wheelchair, and that's perfectly acceptable. If you want to ask, if you feel like you you want, if it helps you out to use the wheelchair, I do it for a long distance in the airport myself. But the one thing, just would emphasize, and we've emphasized it many a times, but just it, it doesn't hurt to do it again. Don't you cannot? They cannot force you mm -hmm. to use a wheelchair. They can offer it to you. And if you refuse to take it, they, they still have to provide you guided assistance. The other thing you mentioned, go, go grandparent. Um, and that's a great service. Um, it's, I don't remember the 800 number for it, but um, it's, uh, but, keep, but, but just a couple things about that service. Keep in mind that service is actually a uh, providing a way for non-smartphone users to access Uber and Lyft. Um, and if you're going to use that service, that's perfectly fine. The, just be aware Uber and Lyft both require that unless you have a medical reason you can't, that you do wear a face covering. So um, you do need to, you'll need to be masked. And as a matter of fact, um, I believe it's Uber now has a program where if you, if you are turned in for not wearing a mask, you may have to take a selfie with a mask. And so, you know, that that's that gets a little sticky for us. So I just be really careful and make sure I'm wearing my, my face covering. So mm -hmm. uh, definitely something to think about. OK, you ready for the next one? Mm -hmm. yep. Donna, you may unmute. Hello, guys. This is Donna Browning. So well, the, when I heard you talk about how the um, guide dogs could not uh, be separated from you and all of that, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. So why? Uh, is it that cane users do not get the same privilege we get separated from our canes? Why should we get separated from our canes when the majority of them will pull apart and they can look all they want? They can, you know, because they have opened mine and looked in. Um, mm -hmm. And I have had a few that let me keep it, but generally they want me to get rid of it, you know, give it, take it through the x-ray. But if they, if they can open it up, why should they have to put it through uh, if it opens up? Um, so I, I don't know. I just think that uh, we should have the same privilege of not being separated from the cane. That's actually, Donna, that's actually a really great point. Um, I'd never thought about that before because it's true. You know, I have seen, you know, before when I was a cane user that they'll have you send it through the x-ray machine. The only distinction I can think is that, you know, an animal obviously is moving and wiggling and those kinds of things. So you don't want it to, you know, become a situation where they have done something inappropriate with your dog, but it's definitely a fair point. And, um, ACB sits on a, um, an advocacy meeting once a year with the FAA. So I'll, I'll take note of that. Donna that's, oh, a, thank you. Donna, that's an excellent point. I think um, as a cane user myself, um, 
you know, you make me kind of wonder a little bit. Um, I, I wonder if part of it was that it used to be that most of the canes were aluminum or metal of some form, but a lot of them are graphite now. So I wouldn't think they would set the uh, detector off. So um, that's a great point. Um, definitely, uh, Claire, take uh, take note of that. It'd be interesting to find out uh, the reasoning behind that. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Marie, you may unmute. Hello. I have two quick questions. I think they're quick. The first one is, um, um, is the webinar link for this uh, particular call, is it the same every month or does it change from month to month? Ooh, I am pausing because I'm Cindy Hollis, the wonderful Cindy Hollis. She uh, puts all the uh, events together every month. So she would be the one to have the answer on how they're distinguished. Okay. But do you get the weekly email with all of the? Yeah, Zoom yeah, I do. I yeah. do. But I have I keep a special little group of uh, regular uh, calls that I do all the oh. time. And I keep them in one place so that I have the links available all the time if they stay the same. <laughs> but yeah. that uh, it usually works for the Zoom events, maybe not for the webinars. I'm not sure. So, yeah, I don't, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about okay. that. I think, I think they are. I think they are because it did, it did say recurring. So well, I'm going to say, I'm going to save are. this one. And so I'll check next month. Uh, you know, I'll when say. I, I'll see if it will work next month for the meeting. Uh, my other question is about, I am retired and I do very little traveling these days, but I live in Reno and we have a, uh, the Reno Tahoe airport is relatively small. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're talking about guided assistance, if I came in, could I indeed get guidance out to the, they have a special area out front where Lyft and Uber uh, cars are, are allowed to pick up passengers. Mm-hmm. Can they take, oh. can they guide you to that area? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. They should. And, okay. and they should. And as a matter of fact, it's with Uber and Lyft, especially. Uh, and by the way, I've been to Reno before a couple of times, uh, most recently mm-hmm. for this 2017 <laughs> ACB convention. So uh-huh. uh, you're a very, you're a very nice airport there. Um, yeah, it is and, a nice but, airport. Um, but especially for larger airports, like uh, say, oh, Harefield, you might want to also ask them, I don't think they're required to do this, but you might want to ask them if they'll stay with you until your vehicle shows up. That way, and you can show them your phone and they can get the license number. Because sometimes, see, you got to keep in mind about Uber and Lyft and really all transportation at airports. They can't sit there and wait for you. They 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 have to keep traffic moving through those areas. Right. So even if you tell them that you're visually impaired and you need them to let you know that they're there, they may not see you because of all mm-hmm. the other traffic around and stuff. So I think I, mm-hmm. I just as personal a bit of advice I give people, have them, if your meet and assist people are willing to do it, have them stay with you. Uh, until that car arrives and then they can give you get, make sure you get the license number and get you in the right vehicle. Okay. Cause I use Lyft and Uber fairly often. Well, not as often recently, but up, up until the COVID I used it quite a lot and I was pretty comfortable with, you know, just having people bring me outside and then I would call my Lyft for my Lyft ride. And I always ask their name before I will get in a car with them. Yes, uh, absolutely since do that. I can't, cause I can't, see the license number or the type of car or anything so i always ask them but most of them uh i text ahead of time and tell them that i'm a blind lady and they will they will 
ordinarily most of them will come up and they will call me by name. So um, that also that, that does work very well. I do the same thing, yeah. uh, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, just say real quick. One of the things I've done and I can maybe put a put something together on how to do this and send it out mm -hmm. to people is mm -hmm. I've actually put in a three key. It's in your iPhone. I have an iPhone. I put it in three key where you type in three letters in a space and it pulls up. Puts, puts a message up there. It's the same yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's on the keyboard settings. Yeah. I know and how you, to, and I you know can do where that. Well, mm -hmm. I've set, I've set one up for so like Lyft has where you can That's... do a pickup note, and so I've mm -hmm. put that in there. It says I'm visually impaired. Please honk when you arrive. Now that doesn't work at O'Hare because everybody's honking. No, but <laughs> well, I won't. Like I won't be going any place like O'Hare. Right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, hey, Maurice. Thanks a lot. We'd like to get one more question in. If yeah, we can. I think okay. we can get one more. All right. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Terry, you may unmute. Hi. Thank you, Claire and Ray for doing this excellent call. As you guys are aware, um, we do the Monday travel call at a site adventures and you answered so many questions tonight, but I have two simple questions. Um, one is understanding that it's an ADA act, American disability act. And when we travel international, how to be a self advocate prior mm -hmm. to going mm -hmm. to another country. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, there's all sorts of different laws um, in the, you know, Claire will probably talk more about that. What's your second question? Then maybe we can try to hit both of them. And you only have two minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the second, well, I wasn't, um, the second question is regarding service dogs and guide dogs traveling international. The rules, they, the world seems to be a little bit more organized where they actually have paperwork and an international ID registry for service dogs. Are us in the United States kind of looking at that process? Um, so I'm not sure if we're looking at the international ID. That I couldn't tell you. But as far as traveling internationally with your service animal, you probably already know this, Carrie, because it sounds like you're pretty involved in this. But for everybody else, there are several, I call them hoops because they feel like hoops. There are several hoops you have to jump through um, in order to take your service animal abroad. I did it in college. I did study abroad in England. So I brought my guide dog with me. Um, if you reach out to any of the guide dog schools, the major guide dog schools, they can walk you through it. That's who helped me when I did it. GDB helped. Um, but basically who you're going through, interestingly, is the USDA. <laughs> um, so they, if you contacted the USDA, they could also help you through the process. But basically, you have to get your dog tested for so many things um, and get the paperwork from the USDA and unfortunately pay a pretty little penny. Um, but yeah, there are quite a few steps that you have to do several months in advance. So it's something you can't just do on a whim. You have to plan ahead of time. Um, so, but yeah, I'd reach out to the guide dog schools because they all have the 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 step-by-step -step process. And then really quick, since we are pretty much out of time, as far as uh, traveling abroad, it's an interesting experience. When I studied abroad in England, it would kind of hit me in the gut that I didn't have the ADA with me anymore. So, um, you know, it's do your research, find out what the laws look like in the country you're traveling to, because there's no one size fits all. Every country is different. Um, so you kind of have to do a little research, find out how things work in those countries and be your own advocate. And Claire, it is seven o'clock. Perfect. Right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank we you, hope, everyone. Appreciate it. We hope we see you next month. All right. Okay. Thank you. All right. Hey, have a good night. Good night. Good night.